So if you listen all the way through, you will get the sensation of the inner pressures of the darkest emotions being passed to a wider perspective and then being passed to initiation and the healing in that section. And I'm going to open it by reading the lyrics of this song called Story to Tell by a band called Death, which were the four, the fathers of death metal. So I didn't think I'd just play the whole song here so I don't scare people away from listening, <laughs> listening to the whole thing. But it's from an album called The Sound of Perseverance. And Sub- Perseverance is spelled like with severe in the per- perseverance part. Um, so here are the lyrics. Drifting into the lives, seep into the soul where emotions hide. Dark skies were beating me down with shadows of deceit slashing at trust till it forever bleeds with doubt, with pain, with trust is pain. When you think of me in your multidimensional mind, try to wash the evil from your mind and open it. When you taste the truth, you will see like others before me. To you I am past, a story to tell. Tell it. You may think you own the end. Take another close look at the script of sadness etched in the book. One thing keeps leading to another. And instead of the simplicity and happiness we desire, we only feel more burdened by our lives. Instead of relaxing into the basic goodness that connects us with every other living being, we suffer the illness of separation, which is just a trick of our minds. And what Maya is, is I'll explain in this video. So Maya is illusion, delusion. And what this, what this actually means though, what does that, that, what what does that mean for us learn? in our reality? Well, I, I think it's just, you know, it's just a matter of what's important for you. What's important for you, for whatever reason, I felt like all the wrong questions. I didn't feel the good in myself if I wasn't I get into doing everything I could to be the best version of myself. Okay, if I felt like I left anything on the table, I enjoy doing it. It would eat away feel that way. I wouldn't be able to make myself feel like it never worked. So the reason why I can retire now is to get a bit more excited about what you're doing. And you got to be really honest with yourself about it. You wake up in the morning and you're dreading going to work, dude. Do something else. Do something else. And those are hard decisions to make. But when you make those decisions, it's a very liberating experience. And you find out that the rewards will come. I feel like a chip on my shoulders. I feel like I'm losing my focus. I feel like I'm losing my patience. I Just feel like my thoughts a lot are of other experiences like, where like as a vulnerable woman, like I, I think the energy in the world, the world is ending. I'm done pretending. And fuck you if you get offended. I feel like friends been overrated. I feel like the family been faking. I feel like the Feelings are changing, feel like my daughter compromised and jaded Feel like you want to screw and that's how I made it Feel like I ain't feeling you all Feel like we're moving myself, no feelings involved I feel for you, I've been in the field for you, it's real for you right? And it's the end, the worst is over
feel like I can't breathe, look I feel like I can't sleep, look I feel heartless, often, often Feeling the falling, I'm falling apart With darkest hours lost in Feeling the void of being employed with barbing Streets is talking, filling the blanks with coffins Fill up the banks with dollars Fill up the graves with fathers Fill up the babies with bullshit Internet blogs and pulpit Filling with gossip I feel like this gotta be the feeling where pop was Filling up an apocalypse happening But nothing is awkward The feeling will prosper The feeling is toxic I feel like I'm boxing demons Monsters, boss, prophets, demons, sponsors Industry promises Niggas, bitches, homies, crackers, Compton Church, religion, token, blacks, and bondage Lost in prisons, a penis, serving concert Fuck your feelings, I mean this for imposters I can feel it, the phoenix, sure to watch us I can feel it, the dream is more than process I can build a regime that forms a likeness I can feel it, the scream that haunts our logic I feel like say so, I feel like take so I feel like skating on, I feel like waiting for Maybe it's too late for I feel like the whole world want me to pray for him But who the fuck praying for me? And the most powerful way to break that looping pattern, which we will get into in, a, in just a little bit, is realizing that this is happening to show you something about yourself. And it's, it's happening to show you a place and space within you that is disconnected from love, an illusionary belief, an interfering wave pattern, as I like to refer to it as. I'm going to read the lyrics of a song to forgive is to suffer from that same album, The Sound of Perseverance. Throughout our time, a thought escapes us to enforce a word, no. Holding on to pain, it may seem to some the easy way to say okay, twist your knife a little deeper. Words to sharp actions dark, hide the blade of the deceiver. Enforce the words, no more, be free. Alone you might just find serenity. To accept another day we choose, to give away another piece of life, to forgive is to suffer. Once or twice is kind, three or four is blind. There's not the end, yet a way to begin. The power of words, both good and bad. And one more that I'm one more set of song lyrics I'm gonna read from that same band Death, but this time I'm gonna read the song Crystal Mountain, which is from the album Symbolic. Built from blind faith, passed down from self-induced fantasy, turn a page to justify. Conjuring power, it opens wide. That's such an awesome part of the song, it's like conjuring. You'll have to listen to it yourself. <laughs> on seventh on the seventh day. Is that how it's done? Twisting your eyes to perceive all that you want. To assume from ignorance, inflicting wounds with your cross-turned dagger. Inside Crystal Mountain, evil takes its form. 
inside Crystal Mountain, commandments are reborn. All the traps are set to confine, all who get in the way of the divine. In sight and in mind of the hypocrite, a slave to the curse forever confined. Shatter the myth, don't cut yourself on the words against dreams made of steel. Stronger than any faith that inflicts pain and fear, is that how it's done? Twisting your eyes to perceive all that you want, to assume from ignorance, inflicting wounds with your cross-turned dagger. Inside Crystal Mountain, evil takes its form. Inside Crystal Mountain, commandments are reborn. It feels like a real response to the world that we live in, particularly us that have been through a lot. You got two choices. Either we armor up our hearts uh, for fear uh, of ever being hurt again, or we uh, make a, a more courageous decision, you know, if we have those resources. The path to me seems like it's about transforming obstacles into doorways, which is good for us that have had a lot of obstacles, lots of doorways. And I, I really do think those doorways lead us home. Uh, I think there's a hundred ways to practice compassion on a daily basis, whether it's pain in the body, uh, the people in our lives, uh, or a world that seems at war with itself sometimes, right? So the way compassion works in my practice is when we bring that care to difficulty, to pain, to challenges, when we bring that open heart, there's a tenderness that just naturally arises. Because the truth is, is that we do care already. After all my failed strategies, the truth remains is that I care. So we open up to our difficulties instead of closing off to them. And it starts with this shift. You know, the main the message from the mind for me uh, is that something has to be done. So I immediately want to go into action. But the message from the body is something needs to be felt, maybe. So how do we tend to this inner experience? How do we get intimate with the things that we're hardwired to push away, right? How do we show up and bear witness to not only our own humanity, but the humanity that we're surrounded by? And I think that's the, that's the miracle of compassion for me. It's, it's, an, it's an alchemy from the things that I've always kept at a distance out of uh, self-protection, the things that I can bring into and tend to. And one of my friends said it so beautifully, he was talking about our friendship and he goes, look, man, wherever you cut the cake, I'll be there singing happy birthday. But that was so beautiful, man. And that's what we're doing with this practice. It's like, okay, whatever's happening, man, sometimes it's cool, sometimes it's difficult. And uh, can we just befriend our experience, you know? So we're looking for this compassionate response, but the compassionate response can only really arise when we tend to the pain. You know, as long as we keep it at a distance, uh, it's hard for it to really arise because it comes out of the heart. If the heart, the, we don't have access to the heart because we're armored up, you know, so, so 
part of this is just softening and uh, really tending to these uh, difficulties our own and the people around us. I know for me, like personally, I was lost in the shadows of a frightened and confused mind for a long time. I acted with a certain kind of blindness, you could say. Some sort of like self-protection, twisted through the distorted lens of ignorance and fear. Yeah, I acted like I didn't have any relatives. And it was a real lonely outlook. So I have no idea what the people around me are going through. I take some solace in uh, the words of Longfellow who said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. So what is a compassionate response to what we've been carrying, what we see in the world? And Sometimes it's easier to practice on the world and then bring it home to ourselves, you know? A lot of us are good at giving, but can we bring it home? And growing up, I was a real tender-hearted little guy. But, uh, and I thought my heart was something I was supposed to hide from the world. You know, I did my best to armor up. But now I feel like my heart is my greatest gift to the world. Yeah. So how do I hold this world deep in my heart and I offer it up every day as much as I can to the conditions that I, I find myself in? And the practice, just to end, I would say the practice for me is about widening the range of experience that I can meet with a generous heart. When I find myself a little overwhelmed by what's happening inside of me, really try to take solace in the sensations itself. Because a lot of times, for me, the overwhelming part is the stories about it. And the stories are just looping, and they're echoes, and they could last a really long time. I can tend to the sensations, like the sensation of uh, a broken heart, right? I went through a divorce, and it's like, wow, what is the sensations here? And sometimes it felt like a white hot poker in my chest and even that could have been overwhelming you know so we do take care of ourselves you know we do walk ourselves through it sometimes i can only put my toe in it you know sometimes i can cannonball in but other times i gotta be a little more careful inside opening slowly and slowly melting that armor around the heart so it's not just about just ripping our heart open to every moment it's about like, okay, how do I care for me and everybody else? Like, we're all in this together. We may not even see the suffering in our life, partly because we become so accustomed to it. But if we look beneath the surface, we'll see that suffering is percolating through like an underground river.
Whether we acknowledge it or not, we sense that it's there and maintain a mental vigilance to keep ourselves occupied in an attempt to avoid it. Over and over again, we come up with schemes to outsmart samsara. Even though we know that nothing changes the basic character of samsara, we keep trying to make it work out. This is high-maintenance pleasure. It's what keeps us on the wheel. It's how we keep trying to make samsara work. We think, I know it's endless. I know it's painful. I know what you're saying. I believe you. But I've just got one more thing. Just one little thing. We can go to the grave saying this. That is samsara. Just one more is the binding factor of the cycle of suffering. The Buddha was an astronaut who traveled into space and saw that suffering is a circle. We say just one more because we don't see it the way Buddha did. We are under the illusion that we're moving in a straight line. Yet just as the earth seems flat as long as we're on it, we think we're walking in a straight line when actually we're stuck in a circle of suffering. And though it certainly feels like an objective reality, this circle of suffering is just a state of mind. also matter <laughs> you matter the most like nobody else can do you the way that you do and the way that you need um, and just feel safe to love yourself in that way like we I don't think we celebrate our magnificence enough you know and I don't I don't think that's an egotistic thing like I mean if it's like narcissism or like a fake projection of you are great. As a compensation mechanism yeah. or the motivation behind it is to parade some aspect of yourself that you think is better than everybody else. That's different. But yeah. our inherent magnificence in every single every person single is magnificent. Every single person. Every single person is so magnificent. So like, can we celebrate that more? <laughs> For sure. I try to celebrate that in all of my relationships because that's the way that that's the way that I like to see the world. And in, in, a, in a great way, I have found how to see that in myself. And I think that's why yes, I think that's why this relationship came into being and why this is all possible. Is it started with that incredibly solid, unconditional self-love. Amen. And, and have a little faith. And have, have, a, faith. have a little faith. It'll you'll soften all, the, all the sharp corners and all the edges, you know, and, and know that whatever you've experienced, it's possible to heal. We've seen amazing healing happen in all the circles, in the plant medicine circles, in the breath work circles, and everything that we've done. We've watched incredible healing happen. And like Maestro Alberto, one of my, you know, most powerful ayahuasca shamans that I work with, he said, 
we can fix anything but dead. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I fucking dig that. You know, like whatever you've gone through, whatever you've experienced, like healing is possible. And, You're that powerful that you can do it. And also honor it because so much of the healing of the self is how you become a master in serving others. You know, I can so deeply talk about my experiences to hopefully inspire, you know, somebody else's light awakening moment in themselves because they relate to me. And like, that's part of the point why we go through all of the challenge and struggle is for how we can show up to serve others in the world. So getting really clear in yourself about what part of you is continuing to create these experiences and, and having the awareness around it to be able to change, to be able to evolve, to be able to grow. Um, I also think that, you know, practices where you're really being unconditionally loving of yourself. And that means, you know, honoring and speaking your needs and your desires and your boundaries. Hearing these interviews of these women and the vulnerability and, and, and their discomfort and not knowing what to do, so they just go with it. Like, I, I think as a woman, you know, we're, we're put in situations like that and because we don't really have our own empowered voice or, or um, uh, ability to stand for ourselves and say no. Yeah. Like, that, that, that is massive. Sure. And of course, it's, you know, the blame falls entirely on the expression of the dark masculine that's perpetrating these heinous acts. Mm. But, you know, it is in some ways often possible because the women don't feel sovereign and powerful no. enough and, and loved unequivocally enough. And, and maybe there is a craving to get love. You know, that same thing that you had younger when you were younger, you know, and you're in college and you're with somebody and you'll, you still want love and you still want approval. And, and so that makes it possible for you to surrender, you know, your own sense of sense of this is not right mm -hmm. you know yeah. and of course if all the fault goes of course to the man in that situation they're the one who's perpetrating but nonetheless like the defense the defense to that attack mm. comes from within and the yeah. strengthening like that's yes yes we absolutely need to you know correct all of the masculine expressions of this 100% but also we need to support women empower the empower women so much like yeah. that's the best defense we can possibly do is just show women how to claim their voice and claim their power yeah. and be able to say fuck no well the fuck you you're going to jail you know like <laughs> get the fuck out of here <laughs> and i mean in a way too like in those experiences where I will, you know, chose to give my power away out of out of not feeling that empowered voice within and my my own ignoring my internal compass, came so much shame. Like, you know, it, it's it's like a traumatizing moment. But I'm ashamed that I allowed myself to even be a part of it. And so the way that I did everything and the right and the reason that these memories were so repressed was because I, ne I never told anybody about it I never talked about it it was just like cut off in my psyche and that didn't happen and I kept going on with life like those things never happened and then you wonder you know that's like energy and frequency and story that's actually happening in your internal world that 
you you create in your external world and in other ways. Yeah, it's just banging around somewhere in your psyche, closed off in some quarantined yeah. kind of cage and not being allowed to actually cry the tears and feel the feeling and the anger that comes up and the violation and the sadness because the and, shame the shame also buries it you and, know? and and to be supported yeah to be truly held to be to be seen and and told that you know like it's okay for sure it's okay you have nothing to be ashamed of and and to feel you know to feel love in those moments yeah and that's the that's the tragedy When I leave the body, or when I, whenever I choose to go to the next birth, is that these things won't necessarily be there anymore. So that is Maya, which is generator, operator, liberator, destroyer, and one that puts you in delusion. It's the source, the cosmos, God, Shiva's role to put us in delusion. This is one aspect of the divine, meaning we forget who we are, only to be able to realize who we are. It's a whole part of the game. It's part of the game of life. It's part of the game of enlightenment. It's part of the game of consciousness. Is that that aspect of delusion is there so that we have a chance and ability to remember. Because if we had no delusion, if we had no bad, and it only good existed, good wouldn't be good. It goes back to that same concept of the reason duality exists is actually so that we can see that there is a contrast between anything. Light, you wouldn't know that light was light without darkness. Same way, Maya exists to put us in delusion so that we're able to remember, come into the remembrance of who we are, and realize, wow, that, that force that um, masks everything, but is also just as divine and auspicious. It's not any negative thing, actually. Even though the word sounds, oh, illusion, delusion, puts somebody in confusion, all these things, is actually not a negative thing. It's a necessary thing. It's, one, it's just one aspect of Shiva, of the divine, that allows us to accelerate and grow in this conscious journey, in this conscious way. When you walk up to someone and you introduce yourself, you introduce yourself by one name. What this means is that you see yourself as a single unit of consciousness. You see yourself as I or as me. The problem with this is that it indicates that you don't see the full truth of yourself. In other words, the perspective that you are a unit of consciousness does not accommodate for the full truth of yourself. What it means is that you're only seeing the forest and not the trees that comprise that forest. With all this in mind, I'm going to say that one of the single biggest steps you can take towards awakening is to see yourself as an ecosystem instead. Consciousness is not local to my body, it exists out here in the field. The same as everybody's consciousness. We've got all these different biological computers tuned to different frequencies, downloading a different aspect of reality. That's what we've got. Now what's unique to you is your perspective of reality. No one else can have that. That is 100% you. You are absolutely unique in that perspective. And no one can be you any better than you can. So why would you ever consider yourself to be anything else but perfect? Because you're perfect at being you. And being you is what you came here to do, obviously, because that's who you are. It's what you do with the experience. And once you realize that perfection in yourself, 
you start to see it in others. You start to see how perfect it is. All of these unique perspectives and you start to see every one of these perspectives as being just as valid as your own. Just as valid. It's when we can merge all of these perspectives and honor all of these perspectives and realize the validity of everybody else that all the barriers break down and we can change the world in three seconds if we would just change our perspective and then apply it to the world around us. Have you ever just sat back and marveled at the perfection of nature? How smoothly everything seems to interact and function. Infinitely complex yet seemingly flawless. A constant battle between predator and prey. Life and death. Everything appears to have a place certain purpose, a shared energy. It all flows together to create a terrible yet beautiful symphony. Part of the show where Larry comes out and sings a silly song. Larry will be performing the traditional Argentinian ballad, The Dance of the Cucumber, in its original Spanish. Bob the Tomato will translate. No comprendo. No comprendo! I'll show you no comprendo! Listen to the tomato. Isn't it sad? He can't sing. Poor tomato. He wishes he could sing. Strong and sweet like the cucumber. But he can't. Can't even whistle. All right, that's it, senor. Come over here and let me sing you a song. Adios, amigos. This has been Silly Songs with Laddie. Tune in next time to hear Laddie sing. Bob is really angry. I hope he doesn't catch me. It's so hard to run with the sombrero on my head. We join Larry as he follows the tragic saga of Bob Romanity in the daytime drama, Endangered Love. Barbara Manatee, Manatee, you are the Bill, I've learned French. You have? Mais oui, je suis Manatee, see? Oui, oui, mon ami, I always knew you could. I really hoped you would. Now can we go into the world and do noble things for the good of all? Yes, but first, Bill, will you take me to the ball? I can't dance. You can't? No. I must go. Please don't go. I must don't go. I must don't. Must don't don't. Must must. Barbara Manatee. You are the one. Larry, what are you doing? Jeff, watching a little TV, Bob? Well, maybe you should read a book. Yeah. Okay. This has been Silly Songs with Larry. Tune in next time to hear Bill say, Barbara, I've learned to dance. Oh, Bill.
of Maya is profound, especially in the context of Advaita Vedanta. There are five fundamental characteristics to Maya. They are, first, Maya cannot be explained in terms of it is or it is not. The nature of Maya is that of ignorance. A man subjugated under the veil of Maya has a lot of questions about life and existence but finds no satisfying answer. The man who has transcended Maya shall have no questions at all and hence he shall never for a moment have any doubt in his mind. Therefore, he seeks no answer. The second characteristic of Maya is that it is made of three gunas or composed of three fundamental qualities namely Sattva, mode of goodness, Rajas, mode of passion and Tamas or mode of ignorance. The third characteristic of Maya is that it is opposed to knowledge. It is like this. If I am ignorant of a particular concept of mathematics, the moment I get myself educated in that concept and understand the dynamics of that concept, my ignorance about that concept shall be removed forever. Similarly, if I am ignorant of my true nature, that is Maya. If I am aware of my true nature, Maya stands cancelled. The fourth characteristic of Maya is Bhavarupa, meaning that Maya is simply not an absence of something, but the presence of something else. Maya has two fundamental properties, namely Avarana and Vikshepa. Thus Maya is loaded with these two aspects. Avarana is a veil, a covering. It is a property that obscures the real nature of a thing. Vikshepa stands for an error introduced in understanding of something, owing to the obscuring of the real substance. These two aspects of Maya can be explained with an example. If I see a rope lying in front of me in diffused light, I may mistake it for a snake. Here, Avarana is the covering on the rope, or my inability to identify the rope as a rope. This is the first anomaly. Hence, the second anomaly follows. If it is not a rope in my understanding, it has to be something else. Hence, the closest appearance is that of a snake. That is the error of Vikshepa. The false projection of the snake into the rope, the error of understanding due to veiling of reality. The final property of Maya is that it is extremely mysterious, yet kinship. It is hard to pin down Maya. One cannot put a finger and define Maya as something that is exactly definable. It is extremely subjective. Maya is something which when comes under the scanner of reason or focus, immediately vanishes. Maya is definitely something that is not negative or deplorable. It is an important constituent, if understood and worked upon, will fasten our journey towards self-realization. For the end of this episode, I'm just going to read a few different parts from an interview with the author of the Rinyan Cedars of Russia book series. And I could go into explaining a lot about that, but I don't think it's too important now. The central idea of these books is that there's a woman named Anastasia who tells all sorts of 
fables and stories and gives all sorts of opinions and information about the world and how it can be more beautiful in the future and how it's been in the past as well. She has a lot of things to say, but I'm going to read just a bit from this interview with the with the author whose name is Vladimir Nikolaevich Magray. So here the interviewer says, Vladimir Nikolaevich, readers will never forgive me if I do not ask you some questions about your new book. Could you tell us about some of the topics you touch on in the new book? And he says, in the new book, I shall be speaking about the power of human thought as the most powerful energy in the universe. And the interviewer says, what are your favorite parts of the book? And he says, I always like to write about something good. Even vitality and mood improve, aches and pains disappear when you write about something good, about the victory of good. In the new book, I also talk about my children, about the ice age when people left their familiar area and like a little girl, attempted to stop the glacier. That might not be too clear, but in the story, there's this, there's a little girl named Anasta who tries to stop this glacier from taking over her, her, um, village. And the interviewer asks, Vladimir, has Anastasia discussed things that were completely new for you? And he says, yes, she has, but they are not always comprehensible or seem insignificant. For example, she says that humanity has not yet determined the purpose and meaning of its existence and claims that human existence lies in the perfection of the natural living environment. She had said that a long time ago, but I did not write it because I suppose that the living environment included, for example, an apartment or domain, but that this did not involve spirituality. However, in further conversations, it became clear that by living environment, she understands not only a kin's domain, which is the term used in this series for like a family homestead, even a very perfect one, but the entire universe. She says, how can a person in perfecting his or her living environment protect the earth even from meteorites and make the universe a more comfortable place to live? By perfecting his or her living environment, a person perfects himself or herself, as well as his or her own body and spirit. And the interviewer says, that does sound fascinating. Has she given you any other information that has appeared very strange to you? And he says, rather than strange, it was not completely understandable. For example, she has several times tried to tell how a person when dying may not die, or to put in another way, when falling asleep may wake up in a new body. She tells it in a more detailed way than I do, but sometimes in doing so, she uses words that are not found in our vocabulary. As a result, I cannot set this out in comprehensible language, so we speak about this topic again. So I sometimes ask Anastasia, translate the words you are saying into a more understandable language. She answers, they cannot be translated into your modern language. I am probably illiterate in translations and laughs, but I know that she is extremely literate. And the interviewer asks, sometimes Anastasia has a very serious attitude towards certain scenes that she wants you to write. Did something similar happen in this book? And he says, yes, it did. But in general, when she speaks about something significant that she herself, she herself believes deeply, then she adopts an especially unusual construction for her phrases. For example, in the book Co-Creation, when she spoke about the interrelationships of the energy of love with God, everything she said sounded like pure verse. 
and one can remember the entire book not simply word for word, but one sees pictures depicting what was said. In the interview, were asked, what is Anastasia's basic goal in this book for the readers? And Vladimir says, I did not specifically ask what her goal was. Intuitively, I myself feel that she desperately wants to do something good for people, to remind humanity of some forgotten knowledge or feelings. She is prepared to call down fire on herself, and for that reason she says, Woe unto you, Nostradamus, the dates of the fearful cataclysms upon the earth were not so much your divinations as the creations of your thought. You made millions of people persuade themselves of these by what you taught and thereby aim their thoughts at the implementation of the same. Your thought still hovers up there, hiding in the blue, still frightening people with your prophecies of despair, but now they will no longer come true. Let your thought join the fray with mine. Of course you knew all this ahead of time, and that is why you are so eager to flee away. Or another, prepare yourself all wickedness and evil-mindedness to leave the earth behind and fall upon me. And the interviewer says, Thank you very much, Vladimir Nikolaevich, for the time you have given to your English readers. We are all impatiently waiting to hear more. <laughs>